Hello, you are listening to the Nourish Gut Podcast. This space is for the woman who is suffering from digestive issues like IBS and SIBO. I am your host, Carly Raven. I am a naturopath, clinical nutritionist, gut health expert, and mother. My mission is to help educate you about IBS and SIBO and take you on a journey to resolving your digestive issues. I will have real conversations and give you solutions that I know actually work. So if you're ready to be bloat-free, poo better, have more energy and become free from the fear of food, then you are in the right place. Hello and welcome back to another episode on the Nourish Gut podcast. Today I'm welcoming back uh, Dr. Brad Leach again for our final uh, part in this three-part series with in collaboration with Microba. Now, before we get started, I did want to share again to you guys that um, the team at Microbar have kindly given you guys all a code that you can use to get $50 off one of their Insight kits. So by simply using the Nourished Gut 50 code at the checkout, um, you can get $50 off and start having a deeper dive and look into your microbiome. Hello, Dr. Brad, and welcome back. Carly, it's uh, fantastic to be chatting again. So nice. It's always wonderful to have you on. So we always have some some great conversations, don't we? Yes. It's um I I always learn something new. Um and I and I love having um other microbiome nerds on here. Um and I, I I've been really enjoying how uh, you know, our episodes have been, you know, not just for people who suffer from digestive issues, but I know that there's going to be a lot of practitioners listening, um, you know, gaining a lot of information out of it as well. Um, mm. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about what species um, should be in a healthy microbiome. Um, I think we're getting to some really juicy stuff today. I'm pretty excited. It's uh, a great topic. Can you discuss uh, with us Let's call them celebrities, shall we? Celebrities of the gut. The celebrities of the gut, <laughs> yes. I think that's a great way to, to describe them. Um, you know, it's an interesting one, and this is almost going to come as a shock to many people, um, is there isn't actually any uh, celebrities of the gut or there isn't actually any species of our microbiome that should actually be in a healthy microbiome. Now, just yeah, let that sink in because yeah. I understand that this might be very difficult to understand and you're like, hold on, what? Um, I can already hear some listeners screaming at me saying, what about lactobacillus and bifidobacterium? There is research to show that they are beneficial. Well, although they are beneficial probiotics and can support a healthy gut, they don't actually need to be in the microbiome to have a healthy gut. You see, sure, we've got some big players such as Acomantia mucophilia, which have been linked with uh, a reduced risk of, of metabolic syndrome. But there are plenty of people without a metabolic-like syndrome who don't have Acomantia mucophilia. Something worth mentioning is there's a few species of bacteria which are, which are being investigated for their potential effectiveness for treating disease. But they don't necessarily need to be in somebody's microbiome to, for them to actually be considered healthy. These, um, you could almost consider them as 
pharmaceutical grade probiotics. In other words, there are species of probiotics which are beneficial to, to health and, and reducing the risk of disease, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they need to be in a healthy microbiome. You see, when looking at a, a patient's microbiome report, you might be hoping to see some of these well-known species. And these might be common probiotic species that, or species which have been identified in the literature. I think the widespread use of bifidobacterium species within probiotic supplementations might make us assume that these species are essential for a healthy microbiome. Mm, so true. But in fact, there are no beneficial species that are actually essential to health. Um, none of the 28,000 species identified by my crowbar have actually found, have, have actually been found in all healthy people, which is quite amazing when you think about that. Um, so something I'll say is don't worry if you don't have bifidobacterium or lactobacillus in your microbiome or in your patient's microbiome because there are plenty of other species which can do very similar functions that will, will most likely be there. Um, something that we discussed in our earlier podcast is that at Microba, we've looked at 60,000 different stool samples and we've found that each and every person has got their own unique combination of, of microbes and that the species do or don't have won't necessarily indicate if you have dysbiosis. It comes down to well, the function of the, of the microbiome. Um, so I know it was a bit of a shock, um, but to conclude your question there, Carly, there isn't actually any, any celebrities or, or any species that should actually be in the gut, which is a, a very common misconception. I felt like we needed a bit of a mic drop moment, like, <laughs> because it is even I remember learning, you know, some of those key species um, and they were always taught as the hero. But, you know, the more I learn as well, it, it's just not as simple as that. So thank you for sharing. Mm. Um, so what happens if we don't have the celebrities, all these well-known species um, of the microbiome present in our own gut? What do we do? Like, or what, yeah, what are your thoughts there? Hold on to your socks. <laughs> uh, not a lot. Um, I know I'm really testing people's understanding of the microbiome, but just bear with me. I want to start off with maybe giving you an example. I grew up on a farm. I grew up with cows and dogs. Um, we grew a lot of our own produce, um, organic, of course. I've, I was vegetarian for a good 30 years. I've never taken antibiotics or NSAIDs, probably a bit too much information, but I was born vaginally and I was breastfed for nine months. Um, now, I've measured my, my microbiome three, four times now, and I don't have any lactobacillus species in my gut, which is just like you don't have any lactobacillus in your gut. And to further onto that, I have no health conditions. I have no diseases. So what I want to portray mm. here is you can have somebody in tip-top optimal microbiome health and they don't necessarily need to have lactobacillus. Um, you see, I, I have a lot of species in my gut. I've got about 230 um, on average. It can, it can fluctuate and go down to about 220 or 240. Um, many of these species 
are beneficial. Many of these species are producing short-chain fatty acids, IPA, and there's very few which are actually going to be producing LPS or branched-chain amino acids or even um, trimethylamines. So I have the species which produce beneficial metabolites. To put it simply, it doesn't really matter which species does the job. What matters is how many species are actually doing the job. While understanding which species our patient's microbiome contain is, it is an important part of overall microbiome assessment. The real value in understanding the overall capacity of the microbiome comes down to certain functions. A healthy microbiome should contain lots of species that have the ability to, to perform or, or produce um, short-chain fatty acids, such as butyrate, propionate, and, and acetate. Um, and there should be a lower number of species that produce detrimental metabolites linked with um, inflammatory bowel disease, um, such as um, your hexa-LPS, trimethylamines, hydrogen sulfide, um, protein degraders and, and mucin degraders. I think many different species contain the genes that produce these metabolites. So it's important to actually have a balance. I'll give you an example here. You've got a, a, a well-known species uh, called F. pronitiae, um, and it's, it's, it's common in the microbiome community. And it's been linked with um, anti-inflammatory properties and a reduced risk of metabolic-like conditions. That is mainly because it's a butyrate-producing species. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got an increased risk of, of developing this disease if you don't have this particular species. It depends on whether or not you've got other, other species that can produce butyrate. I know that this is a new way of looking at the microbiome and there will be many practitioners and, and even well-educated um, um, patients who will be viewing the microbiome in a whole new way, but it's about function over species. Mm. You see, there are so many benefits actually viewing the microbiome in this light. The first, of, the first one I'll, I'll mention is it's easy. There is no need and there's no way humanly possible to remember the function and the associations of 6,000 different species. But if we collectively look at the whole microbiome, well, we don't need to remember the function of each individual species. Now, further to that, the other benefit of, of looking at function over species is it's actually more accurate. We can consider the whole microbiome rather than just a, a select number of, of individual species. And perhaps the last thing I'll mention here in relation to the beneficial components of looking at function over species is it's completely relevant. It can provide us with a clear direction for the treatment of, of gastrointestinal-related functional dysbiosis. Some of the greatest benefits of looking at function over species is it's easy. There's, there's no need to actually memorize over 6,000 different species when we're actually looking at function because we collectively look at all of these species. Now, that leads me into the next point is 
looking at function over species is actually more accurate than just species alone. And perhaps the, the final point that I'll mention here on, on why there's a number of benefits of looking at function versus species is that it's more clinically relevant. It provides us as clinicians with direction for the treatment of intestinal dysbiosis. Mm, and what I what's really hit home to me listening to you in the past five minutes or so is really um, having the ability to step back up on the hill and to look at everything in the landscape rather than kind of zoning in on isolated parts you know even in these beautiful microbiome tests that we get from you guys in my at microba sometimes we can kind of zone in on one thing and I know some patients that I see they can get the report back and we go through it and some things can be out of range but just that one marker or metabolite or species being out of range you know isn't sometimes the you know a really bad thing and we need to step back and look at the whole picture of what's going on how all of these things are working in harmony with each other before completely flipping out you know about these one key things and sure there are some key things like the LPS and you know the key markers that if they're coming up that we're trained and we're educated about okay well that's not great Um, but there's many little things that it's like a bit of a puzzle piece isn't it you know Um, putting together the markers with the knowledge and the education and the research that is out there to come up with the next step for each person and it's just so individualized I love it. Mm, mm, That is really well said. So let's move on and now talk a little bit about how um, how do we actually support a healthy microbiome to ensure that we have, you know, optimal species and minimal bad metabolites and things like that. And I think we alluded to this a little earlier when you said about the concept of, of weeding out the, the, the bad bacteria. So a good 20 years ago, there was this, this strong concept of, of how to support optimal microbiome health is weed, seed, feed. And that is weeding out, putting in probiotics, and then feeding them with, with prebiotics. I, I really like the concept, this nuanced concept of feed, feed, feed. I can't stress that enough. We need more fiber in the diet. I'm yet to see a patient who comes to me, who's actually eating the right balance and amount of of prebiotic fibers. When you actually look at the vast majority of research when it comes around to to, dietary interventions to support the microbiome, the majority of them are using fiber-rich diets or even even, um, prebiotic fibers in larger quantities because that's what's known and that's what's shown to actually have that beneficial impact. Some of these, let's say, very important prebiotic fibers. Now, it all depends on the individual. Not one person should be taking all of these prebiotic fibers. It really depends on what we're trying to increase or decrease. Um, uh, examples of, of important prebiotic fibers are FOS, uh, GOS, uh, pectin, inulin, and resistant starch. So really understanding what the microbiome is capable of doing and what it's not capable of doing and then prescribing the right prebiotic fiber is what we need to do to ensure optimal species. Mm. The other thing to consider here is diversity in the diet. And I think we mentioned this in the first, first podcast is diversity is key, not just in our microbiome, 
like diversity in the diet. A lot of, of of patients and and even us as clinicians can struggle with this sometimes of going to the shops and buying the the same foods day in day out your zucchini your broccoli your carrots your onion we need to diversify our diet um, and a great way to do that is fermented foods um, incorporating these fermented foods can in some way introduce new species but then can also enable communication with the species that are already there. Um, I touched on prebiotic fibers just before, but I want to give you a few examples of when you might use these prebiotic fibers for particular types of functional dysbiosis or, or different types of um, uh, species. Mm. So you have, um, let's take short-chain acids. So to, to increase your short-chain fatty acids, Prebiotic fibers such as pectin, inulin, and resistant starch, they're going to be your, your golden um, um, prebiotic fibers to be utilizing. Now, you may even take this a step further, and you may consider, well, hold on, we're getting a bit deep here, but if somebody has um, a methanogen overgrowth, so if somebody has um, high methane in their, in their gut, mm. what we actually know is these methanogens, they will actually utilize inulin and resistant starch. So you've got to take and consider the patient's whole microbiome when it comes around to the treatment. So if somebody has low butyrate, but they also have high methanogens, such as M. smithii, we probably wouldn't want to go prescribing inulin and resistant starch because that's just going to, to feed up um, these methanogens. So you'd take the later, you'd take pectin in the diet, and that would be a great one to increase uh, butyrate. Uh, another example is with um, beta-glucuronidase. So we know that our gut can produce beta-glucuronidase that can reactivate um, sex hormones and, and particular medication. And there's a targeted type of prebiotic fiber called glucomenin that can actually reduce this. Now, glucomenin is, I always pronounce this wrong, it's found in konjac um noodles so those you know those really fibrous you can get them in worse now they're actually quite accessible they're very accessible Mm. um and the amount that you'd need is you know one or two servings of these noodles per week to actually have a a therapeutic dose um you can get supplement forms of it i find that that's a little bit easier and you can stick with your buckwheat noodles which can be a bit more (laughs) tolerable another example would be hydrogen sulfide. So if somebody has um, um, a high potential to produce hydrogen sulfide, you'd be wanting to ensure that they're not taking NAC um, and be adding in FOS into their diet, whether or not it's FOS as a supplement or uh, FOS-rich foods. Um, So as you can see, there are a lot of personalized interventions that can be prescribed depending on the microbiome. But if I was to conclude the number one thing to do, it would be feed, feed, feed. Mm. Diversity of different fibres is, is going to be key for a healthy microbiome. Mm. And I do want to quickly touch on here and just mention that this is even more true for 
you know, children um, because, um, you know, I really think that avoiding, come, oh, sorry, coming to a food as medicine, feed, feed, feed approach with our kids is really important. Um, obviously, supplementation has its place, but, um, yeah, I just think using that approach with children and, and especially infants and getting as much variety and diversity and fiber into them as possible. Um, yeah, even just prebiotics and that crowding out of, of can be so wonderful in children um, versus, you know, other herbal antimicrobials and things like that. Mm, exactly. Oh, we're getting towards the end here. I'm feeling a little bit sad. I do have one um, final question before I have to finally say goodbye to you and completely wrap up, um, you know, all of the wonderful series that we've done with you. Um, but before you do go, can you just tell us a little bit more about what are some of the benefits of actually having a healthy microbiome? And I think that's a perfect way to kind of summarise um, and, yeah, to kind of leave us off with a positive note about, what what are we actually trying to do here and why do we want to do all of these things and eat all of these foods and do a microbiome test to to learn about this stuff and you're exactly right it is a way to summarize for the listeners to walk away going you know what i want to ensure not only do i have a healthy microbiome but my family and my patients have a healthy microbiome so a healthy microbiome can reduce the risk of chronic disease such as uh, gastrointestinal conditions, metabolic conditions, neurological conditions, skin reactions, autoimmune conditions, hormonal imbalances, obesity, longevity, the list goes on. I think I could link every health condition to our microbiome in some way or another. A number of, let's say, clinical presentations can be improved with a, a healthy microbiome. Now, off the top of my head, this may include um, immunity, uh, improved energy, weight management, and even in, let's say, naturopathic terms, vitality. You see, the microbiome and a healthy microbiome also plays an important role in optimal digestion, including motility and the production of some vitamins, such as vitamin K. The microbiome can reduce the risk of developing particular biochemical imbalances such as intestinal inflammation, systemic inflammation, intestinal permeability, detoxification problems. I'm sure it's not just me that loves the microbiome and can link it to, to every condition. I think that all clinicians can acknowledge that the microbiome has such an important place in clinical practice and it really comes down to, to supporting the patient's individual microbiome for, for optimal health. Mm. And something I would like to share before we head off is I'm thinking of this one particular client that I had who didn't have any kind of remarkable gut symptoms, yet we did do a microbiome test and it didn't score anywhere near what I expected you know I really felt like it was going to you know I even kind of considered whether I should be ordering it in the first place but it came back with some of the biggest key markers um, and we had to do months and months of work to improve this um, so I think what I'd also like to share with you guys is if you don't have gut symptoms like, like this classic bloating diarrhea constipation smelly farts that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do a microbiome test because as Brad has shared with us today, 
It could be your acne or your eczema or cardiovascular or blood sugar imbalances. You know, there, there could be so many other things that are going on in your body that can be improved by your microbiome. So I really recommend to, you know, widen that understanding of, you know, microbiome testing can be done for many, many different conditions, not just gut-based ones. Yeah, excellent and well said there, Carly. Well, I think this is, we're coming to the end. (laughs) Um, I just want to say a huge thank you to you for taking the time to be here and to come and speak to us all and share um, some of your wonderful knowledge and also a massive thank you to Microba. I did also want to remind everyone that you can get $50 off the Insight Kit by using the code NourishGut50. So please go and order your own microbiome kit so that you can start to have an understanding of all of the key things that we've been talking about over the three-part series with Microba. And if you would like any more support, with uh, going through these reports or getting uh, professional help uh, from qualified naturopaths and nutritionists who, you know, claim themselves as microbiome nerds, we do have the Nourish Gut Clinic. So you're more than welcome to book an appointment there as well. So thank you so much, Brad. Um, And I'm definitely going to have to get you back on here one day, maybe in season three or something like that. Is there anything else that you would like to say before we officially say goodbye? I think I'll conclude with function over species. That's If that's your take-home message there, it's the function over species. That's what's important when it comes around to the microbiome. Amazing. Thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Did you like what you heard? Leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about my Nourish Gut program or the Nourish Gut Kids membership, head over to my website. Would you like to be a part of a community that gets it? Join our Facebook group, Nourish Gut Community, or come and follow me over on Instagram. All of these links can be found in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time on the Nourish Gut Podcast.